Welcome to this episode of the Tez Magazine Debrief. I'm back. John Severs, editor of Tez, is back, and everyone must be really pleased about that, right, guys? Definitely. Yay! It hasn't been the same without you. You had loads of fun without me, and some very, very able people stepped in and has probably shown me up. But Gronya and Dan are still here, never fear. And um, today we're going to have a look through the issue and hopefully bring you some useful information, but also a couple of laughs, if we're lucky. Okay, Dan, do you want to start us off? Absolutely, I do. And the piece I've chosen for this uh, week's issue is the Growth Mindset Required column by Erica Johnson-Cook, in which she talks about why we should be careful about, well, we're teachers, I suppose, but all of us, I think, should be careful about the words we use to describe female pupils, words such as feisty or bossy or sassy. Um, and sort of saying that, you know, why would you use these words when it comes to something around being assertive or, or showing sort of a leadership type trait or, or just you know voicing an opinion you know if you sort of say you know someone's oh you're feisty or oh, she's so sassy isn't she it's like it is a form of sort of a put down isn't it it's like a subtle passive aggressive almost like way of sort of saying oh if you if you act like that i'm going to use a word to describe that that has a sort of ever so slightly negative connotation and she makes the point like would you say this about boys and probably not because i don't think I think when a boy is, I mean, you two got children, you can talk about this in much more sort of detail, but do you think if a boy does that, they are sort of naturally, it's like, oh, isn't he a little leader or doesn't he like sort of taking charge? And if a girl does it, it's like, oh, isn't she bossy? You know, that kind of thing. And there is something about that. And I think it is important to recognise that actually if, if a female people at any age is acting like that, you know, maybe saying, yes, oh, oh, isn't she assertive? Or isn't it great that she's so happy to sort of speak, speak, to the group that's a nice way of saying it. not oh isn't she bossy isn't she sassy which just has a bit of a well as i've said it just think it has a sort of a, a subtle undercurrent of something else and that example of being too assertive as if mm. it's put in the, the mum saying how can you be too assertive i was going to say we should come to Gronya with her with her three daughters and her <laughs> frequently uh self-confessed sass at school i mean <laughs> do you find your did you find you were labeled in a way your more forthright male peers were not i was school. so and i was so bitter about it and i'm really, really really cross yeah so um i think i've talked about this before when i was in year 11 we um we had a european election thing so it was the, the one they were trying to promote about the european elections and my head teacher was really really for this and i and two other boys um had a party and it was called Youth Power and Speakman because Power and Speakman were the surnames of the two boys that were also in the party no, no they weren't yeah and you had I, friends called Power and Speakman. Power's quite a common Irish name, and Speakman, I don't know. They were born um, to be politicians, but carry on. Daniel's now a wrestler, so didn't didn't go into the obvious obvious career choice. Daniel um, Power. Daniel Power. Daniel Power. Yeah, Daniel Power. I thought you he sang have a, have a bad day. Was that someone? <laughs> So that we had this um, we had this party and we 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 had you know very strong views about what we, what we wanted done, and um, the boys generally by the staff members were applauded for you know putting themselves up there making speeches. I did all the bloody work, but um, I was just I always felt like I was the impertinent one. I was a bit of a troublemaker. Like it was it it always was like you know don't put your head above the parapet. My mum must have said that to me so many times when I was at school. Don't put your head above the parapet. Stop making like a target of yourself. Just be quiet, sit down, stop trying to get into trouble. And it's that. And my mum's a feminist. My mum went on marches. Like it's not, it's, it's just that 
being aware of the surroundings you're in and if you want to get ahead and if you want to get people on your side, you don't do it by doing X, Y and Z. But my male counterparts could do that and they often got told, you'll be politicians when you're older, you'll be, you know, you'll, you'll go on to do great things. And some of my teachers were equally complimentary about me, but plenty of them weren't and I've sadly got the reports to prove it. <laughs> I think like, if you think about, you know, one thing that struck me in teaching since I've been at TERS is that it's a female dominated profession where the alpha male trait is almost celebrated and that any any female teacher who tries to adopt those alpha male tendencies is immediately dealt with in a derogatory way. It's like, oh, we need the alpha male teacher to handle behaviour and get things done. And it's this sort of like, it's, it's a weird celebration of quite a dominant personality type. Yet when female teachers do it it seems like you know they're they're, they're rounded on by mm -hmm. by by colleagues and and, and seen as like anti-female yeah like exactly not, they're oh I, do you know what i really hate when people talk about like being a man's woman like a yeah a man's woman and that kind of like the idea that oh she's the men like her but the women don't and it's yeah. just so ridiculous it's so reductive it's so reductive to talk about people in those terms and I guess the, the, you know, Graham Andre did the, uh, a teacher who's very prominent on Twitter did this this sort of test for the BBC, didn't he? Where he degendered his his classroom, and the idea was that the words you mat the words you say at you know very young ages do matter, and you wonder how much of this this uh, sort of culture you have in education among in the staff room is, is, is built in the early years and and the primary schools and secondary schools with the sort of language this teacher's talking about of you know splitting types of you know character traits into gendered terms which seems such a bizarre thing to do anyway well it does doesn't it it's such, a, it's such an interesting thing because it's almost like because it's only fairly recently in modern society that women have been able to you know go into the workforce and stay in the workforce and, and reach the top and even saying that sounds kind of like mad doesn't it but it's true isn't it it's not always been the case and so when a small girl probably back in the 50s or 30s or whatever did show a kind of trait like that it probably was quite quickly quashed because it was sort of well you're not going to go anywhere with that so mm. we're going to label it as something negative whereas now it's almost like well yeah there's you know there's no we've had two female prime ministers in this country you know that's quite that's quite far you know compared to like america they had a nun so it's, we're still quite or well, very far behind in some ways in some of these things so it is important that when a child you know, a girl particularly shows these traits that they're taken as a sort of okay that's interesting you know do you do you like doing that or do you want another opportunity to do it did you like leading that team you know don't you know okay they haven't agreed with your ideas but that's okay you know that's part of being of trying to you know write a play or whatever it might be i'm just mm. thinking out loud but it, it's that kind of stuff it is it's not you can understand why it's a hangover maybe of an old era it's, and it's something definitely we need a hangover phase out hmm. and and like when my mum went to university if one said to my granddad why why are you letting her go to university she's only mm. going to get married she, she's only, yeah. and that but that's a really common like if you'd ask people of that generation that's a really common sentiment to express like why why would you bother doing that what's the point of getting an education she's only going to get married and become a mum and um when you have little girls t-shirts that have things on it like future wag <laughs> then really really yeah. that is exactly what dan's just said it's an echo of it isn't it? it's a hangover and I think sometimes people still have that in the back of their minds. Like, what is the, what's the point of you doing that? You're only going to achieve so much. You're not going to do these wonderful things because we don't see women doing the same things as men even now. I think every man needs a sister or a daughter. 
a couple. And it gives, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I think sometimes it's just you know, I, I know of people not among my friendship group who still see girls not as friends. They're they're that different, mm. you know. You're not friends with girls and mm. you know, I'm what, thirty seven, thirty how old are I? Thirty seven, not thirty eight yet. But that seems like a really antiquated attitude for someone of my age group. And it's worrying that that attitude is is there because you know the, you can't have empathy for someone you don't see as an equal. It's it's very odd. But I don't, I don't think young people uh, have. I don't know. I, I I think about my time back as being a form tutor in particular because then you talk about all kinds of crazy stuff. And do you remember in the news a few years ago there was a woman who got sent home from her job as a temp because she didn't want to wear heels. And she mm. had flat shoes. Yeah. And we did that news story in, in the form room and we had vertical forms. So there was year 11s, year 10s, year 9s, year 8s and year 7s. And I was like, you know, what do we think about this? Waiting for the outrage, like expecting, like, yeah, they're going to be really cross about this. And these girls went, she's just making a fuss, isn't she? She's making a big fuss about nothing. My heart, I think my heart broke in that moment. <laughs> How can you say that? And yeah. they just, you know, they just had this idea and the boys shared, like, I just think it's pointless. Why don't you just wear the heels? And it's that wasn't that long ago. That was a few years ago. Yeah, crazy. I tell you what's interesting as well, and I won't give away too much of this away. So we're going to talk about it in a bit. But um, interesting what you said there, John, because the, my best teacher this week is Charlie Higson, and he talks about how he was at a school that was an all boys school, and it was only right towards the end that a couple of girls joined the school. And he always said that he regretted not going to a mixed school because it took him a long time to sort of come to realise that he could have friends who were girls and that was fine and he didn't have to have this pressure of like oh i'm not around girls and do i have to sort of get off of them and all this kind of stuff and he obviously talked about it in more detail than that but it's very interesting and he says that one of the things he liked for his own children was they went to a mixed school and they just had friends who were boys and girls completely normally there was no sort of stigma it wasn't like they weren't having relationships in that way it was just they were just friends you know and he said mm -hmm. that's really normal and healthy because that's like that's you know i guess that just shows you meet people that you like of all types right you just you know boys or girls it doesn't matter um so yeah an interesting insight and that's on the my best teacher podcast out on friday so yeah good extra plug. little plug there for you yeah. good plug <laughs> i think that well have a read of that uh, growth mindset column this week because i think it's, it's one that as you can tell starts a debate about much more than just the terminology you use it, it's it's your how you how you see and how you perceive and how you feel about relationships with you know between men and women and between relationships in, in, in the workplace, which is really important. So uh, have a read of that one. Okay, let's move to the next feature. Um, so during the lockdown, we heard relentlessly about, you know, this, this poverty of devices and how some kids didn't have access to a device. And the whole emphasis was on, let we need to get these kids a laptop or we need to get them some form of technology to access home learning. And so we, we sat down and went, well, surely it matters which device you have. You know, all devices aren't made equal or, or does it matter? Actually, are we wrong? Does it, does it mean that any device you have, you can actually still access the learning? So what we did is we, we commissioned journalist Chris Parr to go and have a look at this and look at the research and say, okay, you know, we know we need access to tech, but what tech is it? And the answer was not, you know, perhaps not the guys you wanted it, it's it, the answer was it's complicated you know certain devices are better for certain learning platforms than for certain people and actually you almost need a plethora of devices to do everything you want to do some are more suited to some um, learning tasks some suited to others and you know what struck me about that was that makes perfect sense you know 
you know how do we work ourselves on a phone on a, on you know there's certain stuff i can do on my phone but certain stuff i need to sit at a laptop for and some stuff is actually quite pleasurable to do on a, on an ipad or a tablet computer and it just shows the lack of sort of nuance that we needed perhaps during the lockdown period that we need to address now which is okay if we want to continue some sort of form of digital learning at home or let's say snow days are a thing of the past and everyone can access you know we're asking a lot of teachers to think okay i've got 30 kids uh daniel's got an ipad these group this group over here has got you know a phone that lot have actually got a laptop and planning tasks to, to to make that happen seems ridiculously difficult so i guess it's a long way winded way of saying it's been bloody amazing what teachers have managed to do in the lockdown <laughs> with yeah, devices. But, it's, but it, it's a good, well, yeah, but you've summed it up very ne- uh, nicely. And, and also to your point there about like, you might say, oh, Dan's got an iPad. Oh, and Grunia's got a tablet. Oh, but it's an Android tablet. And so the software, the app doesn't work on that one, or it's a different version or the functionality yeah. different. Or how I t- explain to them how to get to the to bit on the inside the app I want them to is different. And oh, that's a headache, right? And I think during the pandemic, so much of it, particularly the first sort of half of it, you could probably quite legitimately say, okay, well, it, it was difficult because they had different devices. And as a teacher, you couldn't realistically be expected to have got a plan in place that suited everyone. But, you know, in the future, when there's a snow day and then says, oh, this is great, we can just switch to our remote learning policy. Is it, yeah, but has that taken into account the fact that, to your point there, like not everyone has the same device? And can the teacher say, oh, well, I set them something on, I, on an iPad, but it turned out half of them didn't have it or... That, you know they the, the, they didn't have a laptop it's like or do they have to know now what they've got or, or provide the device for them and you know talking to international schools sometimes i get the impression that they probably do all have every version of device at home and at school because well, why wouldn't they at some of these schools but obviously for you know state schools in the uk that's not going to be the case understandably so and i think it's an interesting sort of point that's going to have to be I suspect every school will address it differently. I don't think it's a blanket fix, is it? But the piece shows that, like you're saying, you can't just go, okay, everyone gets one device. Well, I suppose you could give everyone one device and that might solve it a little bit, but is that realistic? Is that going to work? And also, it's not just about using them at home. We know that Mm. we're going to be looking at like using them in the classroom and what suits the classroom and what suits one classroom won't suit the other classroom in the building. They've got to go in for the next lesson because that one hasn't got the charging points nearby. So tablets would be better. And then in other classrooms, perhaps laptops are better because the tablets don't pick up the Wi-Fi well enough. Like it's, it's, there's so many variables in it. And I thought it's a really timely piece because of course, at the moment, there's lots of rumblings going on about the use of phones in schools. And I think something that piece made really clear was that having a phone is not the same as having a laptop. <laughs> it's not, it's just not the same thing. And we know that lots of schools are trying really hard and getting phones out to kids when they couldn't get devices to them. But, you know, we talk about this powerful computer we all have in our pockets, but is it actually that useful to do schoolwork on? Like, it's got its limitations, hasn't it? It's a phone. You're absolutely right. It's a very good point, actually, because you say it's, it's more powerful than what they sent the men on the moon and with but it's like yeah but you can't write an essay on it i wouldn't write a feature on it you know or no. if i did and then it'd be a horrible horrible experience right I mean, you'd, have to get, you'd have to get some sort of keyboard and you'd have to get I mean, who the hell wants to do that no one can you, so you imagine like kids. a bluetooth keyboard onto your phone so you've got the tiniest <laughs> yeah. little screen i mean what i mean typing on your sort of keypad on the phone what's the longest you'd want to write i mean I, 500 I words i'd write my 500 word blogs you know before when i wrote for tez and i was teaching as well i'd write all, everything on my phone because i was Whoa. never sleeping and doing it all on my phone and like feeding small children i'd struggle with 500 500 words, words and that's the maximum you can't do any more than that and i challenge you... anyone to try 
but how did you find the process of say when you'd written it and then you went back and you were trying to read it and edit it or kind of realize oh that bit would make that that's tricky as well like highlighting the text and kind of moving it down with your finger and stuff that must i really think it it's better on the phone because you can see what it would look like on a phone screen when people read it Mm, so i think that's that's kind of helpful yeah. But a bit like when you see it, you know, when we upload it in the screen yeah. and it's small. And I think that's kind of good. But otherwise, I, I'm quite dexterous with my finger. That's another point. When you've got people who aren't very good with their fingers or have larger hands, I've got little piano player fingers, so they're skinny. But um, if, you've, if you've got really big hands, that'd be really difficult, wouldn't it? So mm. d- devices mm. like um, iPads and phones are, aren't so good for that. And then you've got all the, you know, once you've added on to an iPad, the case that means that it can survive in a school bag and have, <laughs> you know, the keyboard that attaches to it. And that keyboard's got to be charged. So that's got to have a little charger with it and the charger for the iPad itself. I mean, the point in the piece is, yes, OK, you could argue that a tablet with a with a keyboard is 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 sort of covers a lot of the bases, mm-hmm. but not all. But the cost of that. And the and sort of the repeat cost, if you like, in terms of insurance, in terms of, you know, you're, you're carrying around in your school bag something that's what two and a half thousand pounds. Yeah. It's it's. I, it actually reminded me, Dan. I think one of the first pieces you wrote for us at Tears when you were freelancing, which was about the emergence of these sort of hybrid, yeah. hybrid tablets, and and how all the all the sort of analysts at the time said, yeah, keep an eye on these. These are going to be the things mm-hmm. that schools are going to need, and. They were right and wrong in the sense that it is what they need, but the price hasn't actually come down. That it hasn't, much. has it? That's that's the fascinating thing. I remember that because I I was a technology journalist and I remember you know the tablet market. I remember it arriving and the kind of and as always the, the first thing was this kind of like weird like oh why do you want a big iPad? I mean sorry <laughs> why do you want a big iPhone? Yeah. And it was just like oh for goodness sake. And then of course you know obviously everyone did want one. Apple sold literally millions of them and made even more money. Um, but yeah, the price point thing never really solved itself because no sort of there isn't. I mean, there are good Android tablets, but the price point never came to the point of the quality of the device versus the price yeah. point to the point where it's like it was just easy for schools to buy them because some schools have bought iPads, but it's a real cost and all the kit you mentioned there. So it's not this kind of, it hasn't just, oh, tablets are easy to fix or provide. You know, the, you need, you do need to think about it quite a lot. And that's meant you've got this split ecosystem where some use them, some don't, some have Android, some have iPads, some give them for the year, some loan them out, whatever it works. And yeah, it's, it's a funny one that the, the the tablets they haven't really taken over in any way they've just become another device to think about which is yeah. sort of the worst <laughs> worst outcome in a way isn't it I it's the you charging need... it's yeah. charging them isn't it? yeah and it's like can you imagine in a school i just i, I mean there's loads of schools with one-to-one ipads and you know we've done lots of it i'm not saying it's impossible but i'm just thinking god what a nightmare like hmm. it just it just brings me out in stress before. i know a it... school where they introduced the one-to-one ipads and on the first day 10 got broken it's similar they are all sold with like indestructible yeah, exactly, covers or something yeah. with it by some company and then it's like nope kids will find yeah. a way yeah <laughs> it's a similar stress level to when i'm out with my four kids and I'm, I'm there going this is hard to manage how does the teacher do this with 30 kids like i've actually seriously considered some sort of high-vis vest for four of them like the, the idea of 30 or even 60 kids on a school trip yeah. it's the same stress as thinking about charging 60 ipads mm. or, or i know they have those trolleys and they push them all into a cupboard at the end oh, of the day and they all get... but you've got to remember which ones are, the chargers don't work on i've seen lovely hacks with the coloring the t- red tape around to the matching the things up mm. like that even now i'm, I'm never going to go back into the classroom i don't have to worry about this anymore but i see that and i feel a bit better 
Do you know what? Let's it's offer so it stressful. out. When, when we tweet this, we should, we should, we should get people to tell us their, mm. their, their school tech hacks. Mm. Yes. If you like, yes. you know, how do you make this easier? Because you know, this is, an, you know, we're, we're, we're taking the mix lightly about, you know, the, the stress of it, but there is a real reality there that, you know, we're moving to more device learning and more hybrid learning in the sense of home and school being a bit more seamless. So yeah, let's get, uh, let's get a sense of your hacks out there, how you manage it. Good tech hacks, not Good. bad tech hacks. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We don't want to advocate any form of hacking of um, no. school technology. De- definitely not. Uh, Good, good qualification there, Dan. Uh, it's like your old tech journalist brain whirring <laughs> into gear. I'm, I'm glad we made that clear before before we get in a lot of trouble. Let's swiftly moving on. In fact, Let, let's go to feature three. Okay, Gornia, we're going to talk about error management. And and can, before you start, can I just say that I, I I have doubts about your 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 error management because you know your correction of the pronunciation of your name. Uh... It, <laughs> I don't think you manage that in the best way, but I'll let you. I'll let you explain the feature. I just did the best I could with what I had. Um, okay, so my pick this week is my own piece that I wrote for the leadership column, and it's all about mistakes. Not like a guide of how to make a mistake. That'd be a dreadful article. But rather, what we do when someone who we line manage makes a mistake, and how we can respond in a way which is helpful, rather than creating a culture where teachers are afraid to come with to come to you and share when mistakes have been made. And I've got the wonderful Benny Cara, Claire Seeley, and Paul Ainsworth all contributing their thoughts on how to deal with mistakes. And they shared some really, really helpful tips. And if you think you need to make people feel your anger or disappointment when they've made a mistake, then your needs to be focused. And really what needs to be focused on is resolving issues. And I think their words will make you rethink why you might feel like that about when people come to you with mistakes. And what really comes across from what they say is that it's all about stripping back that ego. When you're a leader and you're managing people, it isn't about you and how things make you look. It's about getting the best out of people and you really need to make your focus and the direction on improving your staff and improving the way you work and ensuring that this is a learning opportunity. Because as Paul says in the piece, there is no point in having four people getting it right if one is getting it wrong. You need to all be working together to get it right for everyone. I like how you picked your own piece, you know. You could have got me or Dan to talk about your piece, but you know, you're taking it upon yourself to to big your own feature up. I like that. It's confidence. Um, <laughs> I think the piece that got me, the bit about this that got me is because my initial reaction was surely it's about how the person approaches their own error. Like you know, if someone has an error and comes to me and says, uh, "I've I've messed up. I'm really sorry. This is why," or I find out about the error and they deny it. That's the difference. And then. The point that made me change my mind and really, really made me think was that it was about the culture that enables someone to do the first scenario there, to enable them to feel confident enough to come and say, do you know what? I've really screwed up here. I wasn't concentrating because of X or look, it was just an innocent mistake. I've done X to rectify it. And I think that is about leadership, like you say in the piece, and it's about how do you build that culture? And I think the three people you've mentioned have, uh, have some really nice tips about actually how do you create an open culture where people you know feel accountable but Mm. don't feel uh i guess what's the word restrained or or willing to lie if you yeah Mm. fearful it comes down to fear doesn't it like i think if you see other people getting into lots of trouble because they've made a mistake and seeing how leaders talk about you or talk about that person or you know 
make make a culture where have, making a mistake is this awful thing and you're you're hunting for mistakes because then it's like a power thing isn't it you're the one that found the mistake and you're the one that's told them off and you know how dare you make a mistake we all make mistakes nobody wakes up in the morning and deliberately thinks i'm gonna do a really awful day day at work today and so you need to be thinking about how can i make my team the best it can be and that means when someone makes a mistake learning from it and seeing what you can actually do to to avoid it ever happening again yes it's an interesting one that isn't it because you you do have to be like that but you also have to then say okay what was the mistake and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again or where's that line sometimes you do need to say yeah okay you did drop the ball a bit there you know like i i'm glad you told me and we will fix it but that's the third time that's happened and that's where it gets a little bit trickier isn't it but i suppose the fundamentals, right? You have to have a culture where people can admit to a mistake. And actually, how often do you make a mistake that you think is really bad and you tell your boss or a colleague or something and they say, oh, don't worry about it or we can fix that. Oh, actually, you know, we that's not as bad as it sounds because X, Y, and Z. And sometimes the moment you share that problem, it's almost like, you know, it, <laughs> well, the moment you share it, it reduces the problem. I think there's a famous saying about that, isn't there? But, um, you know, it's that kind of thing. Like, But if you can't even do that because you're worried about the response because the response is, you know it will just be inherently problematic then you have got a problem and and your thing there about people who look for mistakes i mean obviously i've talked about it many times and i worked somewhere like that and it was it was soul destroying because you you felt like it didn't matter what you did you would make a mistake exactly you say because people do and 90 percent of them didn't matter in the slightest but they were always sort of picked up and it was just like what's the point and i remember going to a meeting once where i was sort of seeing people like talking about other people's mistakes in a sort of like kind of just like moaning about them and i and it was so unprofessional and it was just like you're just like deliberately kind of putting the blame on someone for something that's completely irrelevant to this meeting, but you just want to put someone down. Mm. And um, that's like the worst kind of culture to be in. And I think it's one of the things where it sounds obvious on paper, maybe, or you read it in the magazine, you think, oh yeah, that's good advice. But then when it actually comes into like that moment in your job where someone comes to you and says, look, I'm really sorry, this has happened. How you actually respond then is might be different to how you think you'll respond. You like to think you'll be calm and considered and say, okay, don't worry, let's, and you might actually mm. go, oh, you idiot, you know, blah, blah, blah. and that doesn't really help. And so I think it's, <laughs> I'd use stronger words than that, Dan. Yes, well, I'm... <laughs> oh, I know you would, John. You're a, you're a nightmare. <laughs> I think uh, it is, it's exactly... It's, it, I think the thing you, where you have to look at it is that if someone makes an error, you have to look at what part you yourself played in that error first. And mm-hmm. That's what I try and do is, is say, okay, this has gone wrong. Was I clear enough? Or what are the conditions such that that person's made an error? And sometimes it's not. I mean, sometimes mistakes happen. But I think part of dealing with mistakes and creating that culture is is making sure that you're aware of your own role in it and aware that you pay a you know, ultimately they answer to you so you know and it's and in journalism it's an interesting case because you know mistakes can sometimes get you sued uh i made one in my first four weeks of being a journalist that cost <laughs> the company i worked for sixteen thousand pounds so um that was a fun day yeah whoa silence i've never had that one before uh... that was uh to be fair as well my boss dealt with that error really well we we went in and i'd been there four weeks and the report had been there four weeks and everyone else went to the pub and left us to do the lunchtime briefing and the reporter wrote a story and i subbed the story and we sent the thing out and he it was it was correct in the sense that the uh the fraud we alleged had happened and the company involved was the company the country it happened in was though wrong and so <laughs> but my boss at the times called me in and he said you know what john we left two guys in charge that have only been journalists for four weeks i don't know why i expected any other outcome to happen really sorry and you know what what a great thing to do when you've just cost a company 
£16,000. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, I've well got that, is, less, that is a good, yeah. I've got less expensive mistakes to share, though some were quite pricey that people have tweeted in. Maybe there was share. a human cost. Well, Fee Brewer put an entire class's controlled assessments in the same bag as the Christmas wine her head of department gave her and dropped it the moment she got home. So every piece had red wine stains along the bottom. And this is back in the days, obviously, when they all got posted off to the exam that, board that, as well. That's, that's bad. That's <laughs> people's scent. future. That, that's yeah. people's future. Bad. Um, there's, oh, somebody shared that she, when she was pregnant, it's an anonymous account, but when she was pregnant, the keys that she left on top of her car, she then they got run over. <laughs> and she had to admit that, that she was going to be late to the training that she was meant to be leading, but she couldn't go to because she'd run over her own car keys. That's quite, quite a feat, what, isn't and, it? And broken them. She'd broken metal with a rubber tyre. <laughs> I don't understand. There's got to be more to that. The weight um, of the car would crush the key fob. I don't know what you mean. I've run over my, I'd run over my foot before, and I, I, it seems my foot is more robust than... Uh, than, than metal. Than metal. Well, that's Maybe good to know. Bionic. Um, Emma Turner, lovely Emma Turner, who is very is that kind... Her full and, name? Lovely Emma Turner. Lovely Emma Turner, full name. She made some rather honest parents' evening crib sheets for herself for the parents' evening that was straight after her PPA... And oh, she put, no. went to the classroom, put them on the desk ready for her to start. And the cover teacher thought there were letters and handed them out to the kids. Oh, <laughs> no. What happened next? She thankfully had to go and collect them all in again. And she only missed one. And she called the parent. The parent just laughed and was like, yeah, it's fair enough. I'll just say the same about them too. <laughs> so that was good. That, that luckily went well. That could have Wait, been Wait, so awful. sorry, but were the, were the, crib, the crib sheet notes were about the pupils? About the pupils. So the pupils got their own crib sheets. What but were they, they were like? They weren't of the age where they could read them yet. So some of them were uh, trying to like read them. But luckily, they were little, so. Oh, thank God. I thought, I thought the, I, do you know what I thought when parents. you first told me that? I thought they were crib sheets about the parents. So, so oh, like, no. You know, like... Oh, you know, dad's dad's a right nutter and, you know, whatever. And that's what they'd handed out. I've been even worse. Oh, my God, yeah. How would you have dealt with that error, Dan? If Remember, you're, if you were a head I'd, teacher and your I'd staff have, member... I'd have had to fire them, I think. No! <laughs> this one, though, you'd fire them for this one. This is brilliant. So, she, t- Julie Hughes, again, lovely Julie Hughes. You've named her, so if she's still at that school... So, sorry, Julie Hughes. No, no, she admitted it. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Um, she put on a YouTube clip of the opening credits of Star Wars movie for a poorly behaved media studies group. She turned her back, started doing some marking and smiled smugly at the total silence. But she hadn't like cracked the class. She'd put on a homemade soft porn version of the film. Oh. People getting uh, undressed. You're going to need to qualify that. You don't mean she made. Uh, homemade yeah, not is her the... homemade. Not her homemade. No, no, no. Some person had put onto youtube and it's the opening credits with a couple I think fighting if with a lightsaber if we'd not qualified that it'd cost us more than sixteen thousand pounds <laughs> <Yeah>. in defamation <laughs> yeah. um that's my I can't favorite believe one that you'd put a youtube video on and not have double checked it before you watched it. i feel but like it's, when probably... it's credits when it's when it's not like a film that's unexpected i would like google opening credits of neighbours and click a video and not expect people to be naked in it. Why did you want the opening credits of neighbours? Oh, so like you do opening credits a lot when you do media studies. That was the first oh. thing that came to my mind. Mm. Did neighbours a lot. Harold Bishop, should he be on the first picture you see? Uh, this is a good, this links back to what we talked about at the start of it in the oh, opening credits of neighbours. We love a loop round, don't we? We do indeed. We do. In Neighbours, there used to be a girl who had shortly cropped hair and was considered a bit of a tomboy because she played lots of 
um, sport and but in the opening credits she's like super girly and playing with water and stuff and we, we use it as an example in media studies of how you know girls can only subvert their expectations as long as they still conform in mm. in other ways and they had that so maybe that's... i should have done media studies oh, i loved that. media that's studies very interesting and on the subject of media dan before we go you've already given it one plug but yes. there's a, there's a story from the charlie higson podcast the my best teacher podcast that i know and gronya does not and i'd like to, i'd like us to get gronya's reaction to it i'm yes, quite well, scared charlie higson obviously star of the far show um and anyone who has who would like the far show absolutely has to listen to the podcast and he does do one of his characters on the podcast quite unintentionally i don't even prompt him he just goes into one of his characters which was just for me it was like a moment of just like this is this is brilliant um but he was telling me about an amazing French exchange exchange trip he went on for about four weeks, I think he says. Um, long, long old trip in the old days, it seems. And he stayed with a very arty bohemian family in um, in Paris, or with the son, with the, the son of the, of the parents. And um, I'll tell you the story about the dad first, to give you a flavour of it. So the dad sounded like a real character, took him on a trip around Paris, showing him the sights. So they went up to the top of the Arc de Triomphe and they were looking at over the city and it was a very windy day. And the father said to, to Charlie, do you like the wind? Which is just this wonderfully French, you know, <laughs> philosophical, utterly unanswerable question, isn't it? Do you like the wind? Saying that to a sort of 13-year-old, 14-year-old schoolboy on your exchange trip. And Charlie Hickson said, what, what schoolboy likes the wind? You know, it's like, but they had to have this conversation about the wind. And he said he really liked that. And he put it in his book. That he's written his book about a kid going on holiday and having these awkward encounters. Anyway, but the mum, he said they were playing a game of charades in the apartment one night. And obviously it's in French. He didn't really understand what was going on sometimes. And during for one of the charades that the mother did, she took her top off, exposed her breasts and started hitting her breasts <laughs> as part of the charade. And um, Charlie and I both <laughs> laughed and we said, what on earth was the charade? And he said, I have no idea to this day. I don't know what it was about. I just remember it very vividly. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the safeguarding on that? Yeah. It, it's just... And this is why sending children to houses where you've not done, <laughs> done checks is not I a mean, great idea. But even if you checked, how would you know that that woman decided to expose her breast to a 13-year-old boy? That was the first boy? time she exposed her breast to a 15-year-old boy. Yeah. And also... <laughs> but also, like, for this. In, well, but also they might say... Yeah, that's totally normal. That's how we play charades in France. You know, you can't apply, apply your safeguarding principles in our country. You know, that's the whole point. I think of the we trip, should apply our safeguarding principles in that country. Well, maybe in that instance, I don't. Know. I don't but know. I, do French people often remove tops and beat well, their Well, I, I did. I didn't have a chance to really question on it further, but I did want to get into it in more detail and sort of trying to sound like. Do we know anyone who's French? Who this, can we so. ask? Who would know? Would someone oh, phone in. My, my friend's mum's French. I'm going to message her and ask her. Yeah, does ask your mum? Does your mum often take her top off? <laughs> and beat her breast for charades. What charade was it? Do you know what? I've been to her house and played charades. Never happened. Don't, don't reckon <laughs> it's a normal thing for French people to do based on that one, one incident. It's, a, it's clearly a very <laughs> memorable experience for a young Charlie Higson. Well, I think clearly, yeah. And, and um, well, he, t he tells it with, with great aplomb in the in the podcast so i definitely think you'll listen to that and it's, and it's a lovely listen as well we have, we have a good old chat about his best teacher his time at school he's got some great stories about that about acting about being in plays about sketch shows we talk about the far show obviously um and uh, yeah just just a great podcast so really def definitely worth checking that one out anyone who's a fan of of the far show or indeed any of the books he's written or just wants a good listen i love the podcast. far show it's who's so your favorite good. what's your favorite sketch on the far show 
Oh, I, know, I should have thought about this one. But oh, actually, you know what it is? It's it's Johnny, the, the who he plays, the the artist who who's uh, the moment that the word black comes yeah, up. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Black, black. And um, we talk about that a little bit as well in the podcast. But yeah, probably probably that one. I think over time, that's one I, I will always makes me laugh if I watch it or think about it. It's just so good. What about you? I like the trains one. Aren't trains great? That one. Oh, that guy. Yeah. Paul I don't White know why. Yeah. Loved it. No, I like I like uh, uh, this week. I've been mostly eating bourbon biscuits. Oh yeah, yeah. That that man, that, uh, Simon. I've got his name, Simon Burt. I can't remember who no, the is, actor was. That's Mark Williams. Mark Williams, yeah, that's and right. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jesse's diets. Yeah. Yeah, I love that as well. So make sure you tune into Dan's podcast, uh, My Best Teacher Podcast, which you can find on all good podcast platforms. And tune in next week to have a bit more of Dan, in fact, because we will be discussing his uh, cover feature on Lung COVID. And we'll see you next episode. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief Podcast and want to read more of Tez Magazine online and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tez.com forward slash store.